0: Maritime AgCast the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes we will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local regional and national guests as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events today we will be joined by Cedric McLeod of McLeod Agronomics to discuss cost of production Cedric grew up in Carleton County New Brunswick working for his family construction business Developing an early love for agriculture with many projects being on local farms. He has a BSc from the former Nova Scotia Agricultural College and his Master's of Science from the University of Manitoba. Cedric is president of McLeod Agronomics, an advisory firm to support innovation and production advances for Canadian farmers. He also manages 300 acres of pasture, forage and cash crops and produces grass-finished beef for direct market to local consumers. Cedric, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Bradley. It's a pleasure, as always, to get together with you. Awesome. Um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about cost of production. Why is it important uh, for all types of producers to get a handle on their cost of production?
1: You know, as per my intro, uh, I don't have a, a formal education background in, you know, either finance or business or, or cost production on the farm. But what I found early on after we started McLeod Agronomics, I um, You know, we really had two groups of growers that were coming to the table uh, for support. Those that were looking to really advance their farm and take it to the next level. And those that were maybe struggling a little bit, either on the agronomy side, uh, mostly on the agronomy side when we started. But I realized as we walked through that process, you know, the the more recommendations we were making, the more people were coming for direction on the farm. Just focusing on the agronomy or the technology side wasn't, Enough to help them move them down the road for implementation. So that was really when we pivoted and started to take a hard look at the business side of of that equation to help them to walk through the numbers. And I, I guess it's intuitive to folks like yourself that that came through commerce. but you know, that business management side just became so real to me. and uh, so it it really it forced us to dive in. Uh, but lo and behold, it's it's something that we've really enjoyed doing. Uh, we've kind of learned along with our growers, uh, and now we have some some pretty solid processes put together um, to help them through that, through those considerations. But ultimately, business management, cost of production is the number one fundamental skill set needed to, to run a successful farm these days. So it's, uh, yeah, it's way top of the list for me.
0: Yeah, so so in your work and a lot of the work that we do with the groups that we work with, we focus a lot on those business management skills as kind of the primary to making those production decisions. So you're right; they they really go together a lot more than uh, probably people have put them together historically. You know, so with the the crop folks and the cattle folks and and all of the different groups or farmers that you work with, what are the biggest hurdles that you see or biggest challenges you see for farmers really? starting to get a handle on their cost of production
1: right so off the top of my head i got i got two um the first is going to be really engaging with uh your professional advisors so i mean let's be honest you know most farmers didn't you know enter the the agricultural industry because they have a a love of of business management our skill sets are more around you know, land management, animal management, uh, machinery operation, uh, making those strategic production decisions, uh, and not necessarily on you know, running the financials. So I think number one is to get yourself a good financial advisor, and, and that doesn't just mean an accountant. Uh, to do your taxes. This is somebody that can help you to set up your day-to-day processes and how you manage your numbers and and how those numbers get implemented. Because you know garbage in, garbage out. I hate to use that as as an example, but if you haven't got a good data set going in and you're not being strategic with your financial advisor and your accountant, then the numbers that you're feeding in aren't going to give you the kind of numbers that you need back to to really understand your cost of production. They may help you to minimize taxes, but they're not going to help you understand your full cost of production. and And the second tier to that would be, again, after you've got an advisor that that you can work with and you can set some goals with, then you start to build your data management processes so you can start to understand both your you know your your variable and your fixed costs because they're very, very different but you have a strategy moving forward and how to collect that data and you've got a repository of where that data is going to go so that again it feeds back around the loop and and closes off closes that loop on on actually understanding your your full cost of production and once you're there you can start to make some mid-course corrections as necessary.
0: Yeah so I kind of want to narrow in just on something you said there and it's it's related to cost of production but not directly and uh, this is actually a discussion they had on the Purdue Commercial Agcast. Uh, I believe it was in the summer of 2020. And you're right, historically, uh, and even now, there's not a lot of farmers that get into the business because they love doing paperwork or, or love doing the the financial side of it. it it's really because um, they want to grow food or fiber for people, and that and that's what they like doing. Uh, you know, and the discussion that the guys had on that podcast was it's really probably only been since the early to mid 2000s. That business advisors are really part of that farm management team. You know, historically, farmers and and producers, you know, brought in agronomists to talk about their soils and their cropping, and you know, veterinarians and mechanics. And but really, that financial business advisory service is fairly new in the history of agriculture. Is that something that you've seen uh, in you know the last fifteen years?
1: Yeah, there's no question, and 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 I think you know. You've really honed in here on some timeline factors because really 15 to 20 years ago is when, you know, the smaller family unit farm, I'm not calling it the family farm, but the f- small family unit farm uh, started to acquire either additional livestock or or adjacent farms, and we saw this consolidation starting to happen in the sector. And, you know, part of that is, you know, economies of scale, you know, first wave of, of, of retiring, operators you know 15 20 years ago now we're seeing a second wave coming through as the baby boomers kind of uh, start to start to exit the industry so again the the farm size has grown the complexity has grown the risk has grown uh and so to your point where you know agronomists are probably probably one of the first advisors that you would bring in um, you know your nutritionist or your or your livestock specialist would be would be the second, but again that's based on primary production on on that grow it and sell it side of the equation that we've talked about earlier. Now that the risk is that much greater uh, and so much more cash is coming in and going out, producers are you know in some cases have just recognized that risk and brought in. You know some financial advisory support, but the other side of it, I think, it is, is the lending institutions have also identified this this risk as growers come to the table looking to to finance new assets, uh, and so they're, I think, in in some cases, uh, encouraging. I'm going to use the word encouraging, a soft push towards uh, bringing on some more professional financial management support.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up the finance a bit here. And, and obviously, my background is in economics and, and a little bit in management. You know, and, we've, and I know conversations that we've had with each other and with producers and with other industry experts is, you know, the cost side of the equation is really the only side of the equation that you control. You can mitigate risk on the revenue side and what the, that market says. But really, if you know what your cost of production is and you can control those costs, you can reduce your risk to those market fluctuations on the revenue side.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And you know, the, the point you're raising as farmers, farmers typically being price takers is, you know, we, we all deal with that all across North America, all, all around the world. So, so you're absolutely right. I think, you know, it's been interesting to watch the industry evolve. And I think the drought in the U S in 2012, 2013, when we just saw you know, corn and soybean prices spiked dramatically and it brought, you know, the the small grains and cereals with it, canola. It was really a boom time and and there was a lot of land purchased and a lot of equipment purchased. Uh, honestly, I don't know where, where all the used equipment went just when you drive across the prairies or through Ontario or even here in the Maritimes. I mean, the amount of new paint is, is pretty astronomical. So you gotta be careful, right? There's, and, and I think again, back to the advisory service and the importance of having somebody to help walk you through those that what if scenario you know what what if i trade in my my 9650 and and buy an s you know 770 combine right what is that you know two thousand dollar a month payment going to mean am i going to be able to capture that back uh, an increase capacity or is it going to be sufficient to get over my acres so the, the, the whole larger question around capitalization becomes so critical just because you know i think we've got ourselves caught a little bit in an iron frenzy and there's a lot of iron being bought and it's more expensive than ever bigger capacity but you've really got to crunch the numbers on those, those overhead costs to make sure that you can justify those purchases
0: yeah. And I think that leads me, you know, into the next part of those fixed versus variable costs. And the fixed ones are the ones that you can plan for over the long time and or long term and they don't fluctuate, you know, like fertilizer prices do. And, you know, really knowing the the cost and the total cost of ownership of, of assets and the, the proper term of those over their useful life is really important. And it's often things that we don't always give the best consideration to, uh, when really it's the thing that we can plan for over a five, 10, 15 year period, you know, so managing those fixed costs um, is my belief that it actually better allows us to manage the variable costs on those annual, uh, on the annual basis with price fluctuations of other inputs.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you get, uh, you know, like a year like this, you know, we've, we've seen some exceptionally dry conditions, crop yields are going to be down. We know, we know they are, I know, in and where, where I farm, you know, Carlton County growers are, it's more than they expected, uh, but not as much as they would have liked or they would have fertilized for the first of the year. So anyway, crop yields are down, but you're right, those those equipment costs are still there. And so if we make the mistake of maybe overblowing what our uh, long-term average yield might be to justify those those uh, those fixed costs, that can get us in trouble pretty quick. But the other side of the equation, I think, is is really understanding, you know, what, what your maximum opportunity is. And, and this, this has always been a, a big play for me in the work that I've done, trying to encourage growers to make incremental investments in uh, variable costs, largely fertilizer, lime, you know, groceries to, to, grow a, to grow a reasonable crop, not always a bumper crop but a, a solid crop year over year and growers that have that have adopted that kind of strategic thinking process on on the variable costs I think have insulated themselves on their fixed costs as well because they're really maximizing the uh, the operative capacity of of the, of the machinery that they're running
0: yeah, so let's get back a little bit here and the the many workshops and conferences and, and farm business that we do in the run of a year. You know, we, we always talk to guys about, and gals about cost of production and, and how to track and how to manage. And, you know, the first call or the first conversation we always have is, well, what tools are available which cost of production template or sample could I use? And, you know, one of the things I know even from the bank of them that we carry here in the office for multiple commodities is, you know, depending on who sets them up, how they're set up, the reason they were set up, some fixed costs are included, some variable costs uh, are tracked different ways. You know, so I, I guess my question is around just getting started on a basic cost of production. You know, we've already talked a little bit about the data collection, you know, what are just some key basics of, of looking at that cost of production, say for cash crop person or, or maybe some, some dairy or beef folks? And you know, mm-hmm. where should they start you know, I, to me,
1: uh, the first step is is to pull together a bit of an advisory group to to give you some direction on on where to go. I've always been a big fan of this, especially in you know you gave the dairy example, right? So on a dairy farm, you might have somebody you know advising you on your financials, helping do that book work. You've likely got an agronomist helping you out in in the field. Uh, to, to do your fertility work and your cropping planning. Uh, you've got a nutritionist that's in the barn looking after, you know, balancing those rations, getting them into the cow. And then you've likely got a dairy systems advisor who is looking at your barn and, and and the overall impact of how all these players are interacting. And I think that's the key to me, to bring those folks together and say, hey, I need to better understand my COP what are the pieces that we can do from each one of those stages that I just described? You know, how do we most effectively pull that pull that data in? So that would be the dairy example. And you know dairy, you know you've got milk output, right? So that's every two days, you've got a record of that. Um, so you know you can you can put your feed intake data in there and work with the nutritionist. So so there are ways to work your way through that. and and dairy is not a bad example of in and out. The first example I thought about on the cash cropping side is is a big grower that I, that I work with, and he's very, very successful and and does a killer job. Uh, but, and it always strikes me, he never knows what his corn yield is until his last load of corn goes out, old crop. He doesn't have a scale in the yard, right? So he's not scaling uh, trucks in, and uh, but he fills the bin and, and he marks it out. And he does does a fantastic job at it my thought process was hey we've got lots of technologies even um you know everybody's running grain carts now with their combines it's like having a second combine putting a set of scales on that combine and you i mean you can put a wave monitor in in that grain cart and it automatically tabulates by field so again lots of options and there's no one solution it really comes down to what are you most comfortable with as as a grower and what are your advisors going to be comfortable with contributing to?
0: Yeah, and I think that real time versus snapshot in time cost of production, you know, over the last uh, 12 or 15 years that I've been around, even getting folks on the basic annual cost of production per unit of output has been of a challenge. And like a lot of technology, you know, even again, in the last 15 years that I've been around, we see farmers basically skip generations of technology. Um, you know, so do you see basically with the available grain bin technology or forage, forage harvesting technology for that real-time weighing of crop? Or you know, we see it at the Maritime Beef Testing Society where you know they get real-time feed intake information. Do you see that the availability of that technology will actually bring farmers a decade ahead all at one time versus the annual cost of production with a piece of paper and a pen and or a spreadsheet, or, or are we not quite advanced in the reliability or even the access of that technology?
1: I'm going to say no. Uh, I, I, I don't see it. And, and the reason why I would say that is there is literally millions and millions of dollars worth of yield monitoring technology that's currently deployed on combines uh, across this nation that collect data every day that's not being used. So I don't think it's a matter of technology uh, and and you know there's all the all the major iron providers they've you know they've got some level of sophisticated yield monitoring slash cost of production uh, tracking te- uh, capabilities within their within their softwares it really comes back to to the grower some growers are really keen on data right and that's what drives them some growers are really focused on you don't get behind the steering wheel and being out and and seeing the crop as it comes in and and making those agronomy decisions. And that's fine, right? And it's like I always say, you know, be the best, hire the rest. If data is where you get your kicks, then, you know, you you get a good hired man or woman and you put them in the combine and the grain cart and let them go to the field and get that job done. And your focus is going to be, you know, back on the ranch, collecting that data, making sure it's in the format you need to make your go-forward decisions. Flip side, if that's not you, hire somebody to come in and help manage that data. Does it have to be full-time? Absolutely not. But get somebody that's got a mindset for crunching those numbers, because that is that is going to be fundamental to the success of agriculture moving forward and fundamental to capitalizing. And again, we're back to, you know, fixed cost. You've got a two hundred thousand dollar yield monitoring system in in your brand new combine that you're not maximizing the use of. That's a lost
0: opportunity, for sure. So let, let's talk a little bit about beef cattle and you know because that's primarily where I do the a lot of our work and where we our paths cross the most. And getting back to that basic cost tracking and cost of production monitoring for for a typical cow calf guy in the Maritimes with maybe thirty or forty cows, what type of system is available? Uh, as far as officer production monitoring, and how do you get started?
1: Yeah, I think uh, keeping it simple right off the hop is is the way to do it. And, and, you know, the the beef cow example is maybe one of the more complex uh, models. We've talked about dairy, you know, some pretty clear ins and outs. Uh, Grain farming, you know, same thing, kind of ins and outs. The beef cow operation, we're doing a lot of the labor ourselves. You know, we're producing a lot of the feed on farm, not buying a lot in. And we sell once a year and might have a bit of a variable crop so place that i would start number one would be on understanding your feed we know that feed represents probably 60 to 80 percent maybe 90 percent of the cost of production depending on your farm makeup right so even you know counting the bales per field that's a place to start just get right down to basics how many bales are we getting on an individual field basis not my total bales for the year, but on an individual field basis. And you don't need any technology to make that happen. The second piece that I'd be looking at would be a set of scales and bringing those calves over the scale, doing a good job of, of tagging them up so you know essentially what your weaning weight is. And, and that comes down to that, you know, productive capacity on a per cow basis. Uh, and really, you know, selecting for those commercial mama cows that are that are weaning that the heaviest weight calves And, you know, those two pieces of data right off the hop help you to individualize productive capacity on a per-field basis and a per-cow basis. That's the start. Then you can start to take, you know, veterinary costs, uh, mineral costs, some of your fixed costs. You can start to normalize those over the whole of the herd, but having that, a bit of an idea of, of, of forage and weaning uh forage production and and weaning weights would be would be the place to
0: start yeah and you're right i think really and it goes back to which data you're collecting is you know which are the management decisions that you want to make are really going to be dictating which of the data points you're collecting and and looking to compare you know one of the things again that we hear a lot of, of workshops is you know the getting started part is tough and The Nova Scotia cattle producers, like all the other groups, uh, similar groups across the country, like there are plenty of online templates available. I think University of Saskatchewan has a bunch. The Ontario Ministry of Agriculture has a bunch. I know we've done some COP work here in the Maritimes, whether it's beef or or sheep related or or hog related. You're right. I think the the biggest part is getting started, knowing where to start, and really trying to figure out what it is you're trying to collect. Mm -hmm. You know, on the flip side of that. You know, we've talked about the types of farmers, whether they're numbers guys like me or agronomy guys like you and and really matching those folks up or those skill sets, I guess. Well,
1: yeah, I, I was just going to say you're, you're, you're making me you're making me think about, you know, uh, a group of small growers within within a localized region. And again, I'm, I'm a big fan, as you know, of peer groups. I think peer groups are a great way to, you know, share ideas. Um, if you haven't got a piece of data that, that you need, somebody else might, right? So you can start to piece together a cost of production model that way. But a peer group also uh, gives some economies of scale. So you can maybe bring in an advisor, maybe use those services uh, as a collective. But the probably the most important role of a peer group is to hold one another accountable, just to make sure you get that kind of constant prodding. Did you collect the number of bales per field? Oh, no, I said I was going to do it. Uh, I'm going to go and make sure I put a notebook in my
0: Baylor tractor. I as well am a big fan of peer groups and, and like connecting with folks because, you know, I, I'm exactly like you in that if I don't know an answer, at least I'm going to find somebody that that has that. You know, one of the other big things about peer groups that I'd like to talk a little bit about is is benchmarking. And it's really great to know what your cost of production is, uh, no matter what type of farm you have. But the other one is really known where you fit in with either a provincial average Uh, within the size of your farm or national average. And I think those peer groups really allow for that initial benchmarking. One of the challenges I think with that, and it goes with any type of of business, is sometimes it's hard to break down that wall and wanting to share that information freely uh, with folks that we often see as competitors, when really we should be seeing them as allies. Can you first comment on some of the groups that you've worked with and the comfort of sharing those internal business figures with one another, which is often a challenge. And then secondly, just the importance of benchmarking against your peer group, whether it's provincially or nationally. Yeah, no, g-
1: great points. And I think, you know, you and I have been involved in a number of peer groups and, and set them up, both you and I. Foundational to the function of a peer group is trust. You know, you got to have a group of, of, of guys or gals that have you know similar long-term goals right and and they've got similar i guess it doesn't have to be similar motivation but they have to have a strong motivation to be part of a peer group in so much as they have a problem they need to solve or they want to be better and that means you're willing to come in and you know take your pants down just a little bit and, and share some of that data so that the whole of the group moves forward as as do you and your individual operation so trust, trust is foundational there. Second part of your question, there's really two schools of thought on on benchmarking. You know, certainly benchmarking yourself against your peer group is great in so much as you might have, you know, you take an individual factor, right? It's maybe overhead costs, you know, per bale pretty straight, pulls in your yield plus your equipment cost, and mixes it all together. And you can get a sense of, of where you fit within that range. Which is valuable, certainly valuable. When you take a look at things like insurance, right? Insurance packages. I've we've heard that numerous times. The growers of you know when they start to share their insurance costs. Like oh well, this group is giving me this rate. This gives me this rate. And so you know that that's a way to compare some of those things that you might not otherwise think to do. The other school of thought on benchmarking is benchmarking against yourself. This comes back to the very first question that you asked about about setting up data sets. And it comes down to creating a very consistent process through which you analyze your cost of production and each one of the core components of that cost of production, and each one of those components you're comparing year over year over year. And so if you find that you know your overhead cost per bale is higher than the rest of your group, then that's what you focus on. You can start to chip that down however you need to on your farm year over year. I think both both components are are important against peer. That's a discovery piece. And then really, when you're benchmarking against yourself, it becomes a, a progress evaluation.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know, especially if our ultimate goal, which i I hope is the goal of all farmers and all businesses to be the most profitable we can, you know, in managing those costs, so year over year, you should be becoming more profitable over time. So really good point on the the year over year benchmarking, as well as the benchmarking against your peer group. I don't work as many with as many farms, one on one as you do. But, you know, a lot of our work we do here in the office is with agricultural organizations. And that year over year, even budgeting and performance reporting is very important to us. And being able to track, and I know one group in particular that we work with when we started with them about seven or eight years ago, you know, they're a fairly complex organization. They had nine ledger columns that fit everything from vet services to uh, you might even see some fuel and maintenance expense in the same one. And and just breaking down individual line items and being able to track that and and knowing from year to year what your office administration costs are. And, and especially I find... And I think I had this conversation with Jonathan Work the other day when we were talking about something similar is recognizing when there is a variance from year to year and and making that note so that when you go back in 2024 and look at your 2020 cost of production, uh, making sure that you have some anecdotal notes in there. So, you know, it was a dry year. um, You know, so we put that extra application of fertilizer on after first cut to try to bump our yield. Because without those anecdotal notes, you really don't see. The full picture. It's just a bunch of numbers. You know, if we're in 2016 and there was an extreme or a fairly significant price in fertilizer costs, well, if you're just looking at a line item and your fertilizer went from 14 to 23,000, without any context, you're left to guess did we put on 50% more, 70% more, or were costs just variant that year? So I, you're right. I think that year over year is is as good a measuring stick as, as it is against somebody else. You know, one of the other things, and it's just going to be a little off topic, but it's something that, you know, we've had many conversations with various people over the years, is that peer group and maximizing the benefit of that peer group, even into something like group purchasing. So it's one of the things that uh, we've talked a little bit more than the hog sector that I work with. We've, we've got a group of producers. We're working together on several things. Can we leverage that relationship? to further reduce our cost of production. Any comments on that?
1: Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, as, as you just, the, those last few comments, it just made me think there is no line item for pride. Your cost of production doesn't care about whether or not you don't want to tell your neighbor or you don't want to ask, or you don't want to take a harder look at your true financial position. And if you take a look at, at the demand side, of the industry, consolidation is rampant. Fertilizer companies, retail, chemical supplies, feed companies, processing, the rest of the value chain is consolidating. Now, am I advocating for massive farms with with huge land base? Absolutely not. But if the demand side that we're selling into has consolidated to reduce their overhead costs and increase their purchasing power, and we don't, on the supply side, then we are putting ourselves at a pretty significant disadvantage. You know, slippery slope sometimes on that consolidation side, but we definitely, again, forget about the pride. Forget about, you know, what happened between your grandfathers years ago, or what happened you know, in high school with your neighbor kid. You're in a situation where margins are thin, costs, you know, need to be managed, notice manage not always cut because there's a limit to how much you can cut but maximizing your purchase power and putting a few more points of potential margin uh, on your balance sheet that's worth putting your pride in the box and coming to the table ready to work with your neighbors
0: this leads me to another thing that we've been working on on the battle side is you know not only group purchasing but group marketing and you know, well, that's another way to actually influence on the revenue side where we can't make a lot of influence otherwise, right? We've talked about it several times and even a little earlier today about farmers are, for the most part, price takers. But there are things that we can do to improve our position in the market uh, and getting that higher value. And, you know, I think we've seen it a little bit maybe more through maybe the grain side and some root marketing, but it's, you know, how do you foresee that? particularly in the Maritimes, where we've got a lot of small to mid-sized farms. You know, we even have, you know, you talked about uh, fertilizer companies. There aren't very many grain elevators or major grain purchasers here in the region. How do you see, again, either peer groups or new peer groups having more market influence by group marketing, which will hopefully improve the revenue side of that equation? Yeah, I, I think it comes
1: back to my earlier comment on consolidation and, you know, margins are thin for everybody. So the more we can do a buyer's work for them, the more they're going to be willing to to share in in that middle ground. And I think, you know, group, group marketing of cattle is a great example. And uh, so right now, I know we're working on um, not necessarily a specialized sale, but I I guess it is. There's a group of 40 calves that are going to come to to the auction mart here in up in Waterville uh, in in mid October. A number of growers, you know, some are 10, some are 20. They're putting together a group of calves. They all got vaccinated on the weekend, so we know they're going to be at least three weeks vaccinated. That gives that auction barn a chance to say, hey, we're going to have a group of of like produced cattle, and we know they're vaccinated. So that means the feed yard, those order buyers. You know, they don't have to worry about the, the high risk nature of those. Plus, I got 40 calves all in a group, so you're going to come awful close to filling a pot. So, again, that just means your transportation costs are lower. You don't have to drive your gooseneck down each lane uh, and worry about even collecting those cattle and putting them on. It all comes down to time. Where is your time best invested? Is it invested in working with your neighbor uh, to help put together a group of cattle so you can save time for the order buyer uh, and grab yourself an extra 10, 15 cents a pound? I would say that'd be pretty easy time invested. I think it really comes down to understanding the value chain as a whole and how your management decisions impact others up the chain or down the chain. And, And the more you can make their job easier the more they're going to be willing to share in that margin, and if you're not willing to do anything to help out anybody, then you shouldn't expect to get a premium price.
0: For sure, and again, it's that pride that we're plugging into or taking out of the equation here. Is you know, often we have to look at things outside that may make us feel a little less comfortable than normal to to really drive ourselves forward as farmers and and business folks. Uh, so just bringing back to the, the cost of production modeling itself, you know, we talked that there are lots of resources available, whether it's through provincial governments or, or some private work that's been done. If you're coming out to my, to my farm today and advising me, you know, where would you send me to find some information? You know, we've talked about advisors, but what are you going to tell me? Here's Brad, start today. Uh, here's how we're going to manage developing your cost of production on your farm. Right.
1: My first move would be to set up a call with the accountant. Right. Who is it that you're using? What is the process that, process that they're using? Okay, that's step number one. Um, it's either going to be detailed enough or not detailed enough. And, and they, may, they may have their suggestion to say, hey, look, this is how we got to set it up for your taxes. But here's a bookkeeper I know that has some experience in agriculture. They can help you to set up the data. So when it comes to me at the accountant's office to do the taxes, the report I sent back to you is whats is what you're asking for. And if if they don't have a suggestion there, you know, going to, you know, obviously if you're in the cattle, you're gonna call your your cattle producers association. You know, there are resources out there to help move you through. But it really, again, it's about building that relationship within the peer group to make sure that everybody's comfortable. Because if I roll in with, say, Ag expert and I've done a fantastic bang up job at the farm level of collecting all my cost production data. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is, QuickBooks or Simply Accounting or, you know, the, the Ontario cost production model. And I roll into the account and they're like, um, yeah, that's really cool. But I'm just going to blend this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And this is what you're going to get for a report. Doesn't do you any good. So it really starts with that conversation about the people that are ultimately going to be helping you to run those numbers and making sure that everybody in that advisory group is comfortable with the methodology moving forward because like I say there's a mountain of opportunity of options. Back to to, a comment halfway through you know keep it simple. We've seen it so many times you know we go we deliver workshops and and get folks fired up on you know the opportunity to do a better job in, in data collection or financial advisor or financial you know oversight and then You go home and you die the death of a thousand cursor blinks because you pop open your computer with all this vigor that you've picked up at the workshop and you don't know where to start and you get frustrated and you walk away from the process. Don't think you're going to eat that elephant all in one day. It comes a bite at a time. Again, talk to your advisor if there's a few things you can do this year to get yourself in better shape. You can add a few more pieces next year. know some are going to charge out and get it all done in in one year but don't be discouraged if if it doesn't happen overnight just stay the course start with setting some goals and add to that process and don't get frustrated and don't leave it behind just just soldier on
0: yeah you're right and and like with any project or major project in in life or in business you're right i think that the most important step is that first step and having your game plan to to make sure that it isn't overwhelming, like you say, so that you can press on and, and don't get overwhelmed. Look, I want to thank you as always, um, probably one of the shorter conversations we've had in the last 10 years. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes it can be a little longer, but yeah, definitely the time, Cedric, um, your depth and, and breadth of knowledge is always uh, always fun to have a conversation with. And look, hope to have you back on the podcast uh, whenever we can. Hey, looking forward to it. Anytime, reach out. You know, I love the chat. I always said if people are willing to listen to me, I'm willing to talk. And uh, I think your philosophy is very similar to mine. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> All right, awesome. Thanks, Thanks Brett. Cheers. Atlantic
1: Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central canada livestock auctions occur every thursday with cattle sheep goats hogs rabbits and poultry all featured additional information such as previous market reports
0: feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on atlanticstockyards.com here is the market report for the week ended october 30th 2020 Brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base prices in Nova Scotia were $1.95 per kilogram, flat from last week. In Ontario, base price was flat as well from last week at $1.86 per kilogram. In Quebec, base price was $2.16 per kilogram, up $0.07 from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products was $2.23 on the rail. No change from the previous week. In Ontario, live steers sold for $1.31, moving up $0.01 from last week. And in Quebec, live steers were $0.74, down $0.03 from last week. cattle Atlantic Stockyards sold for $0.62, an upward change of $0.01 from last week, while rail price at Atlantic Beef Products was $1.34, down $0.10 from the prior week. Calls in Ontario averaged 61 cents, up one cent from the prior week, and 58 cents in Quebec, moving down two cents. Good bob calves, between 90 and 120 pounds, Atlantic stockyards sold for $149, up $14, while calves in Ontario were down 17 cents to a price of $1.09 per pound. Calves in Quebec were 94 cents, a drop of 4 cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland Brookside Abattoir is at $10 per kilogram and mutton is at $5 per kilogram. 50 to 64-pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average two twenty-three per pound at 56 pounds, ranging from $1.10 to $2.70. In Ontario, 50 to 64-pound lambs average three twenty-three per pound at 60 pounds, ranging from $2 to $3.57.5. For 65 to 79 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards, average $2.38 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from 218 to 266. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average 321 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from 220 to 367 and a half. Use at Atlantic stockyards range from $60 to $230, averaging 153 And in Ontario, use averaged $1.58 at $146 pounds and range from $1.2.5 Two to 227 dollars half. Upcoming events, the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia are offering virtual farm tours beginning in November, as well as virtual shootside side presentation by Dr. Alex is of Fundy Vets on vaccine handling and injection techniques with cattle. Check nscattle.ca or nssheep.ca and their social media for updates. Pork Nova Scotia's 2020 annual meeting will be held virtually on November 10th at 7.30 p.m., Register by contacting info at Scotia.ca by November the 6th. The 2020 Maritime Beef Conference virtual series began on October 22nd and will continue each Thursday for five weeks. Register at maritimebeef.ca. There is a serious animal disease emergency awareness webinar by the Animal Health Emergency Management Project occurring November 10th at 4 p.m. Register at animalhealth.ca. The Maritime Beef Testing Society annual meeting will happen on November 17th at 7 p.m. virtually. Registration is required in advance by emailing office at nscattle.ca. The Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia 2020 annual meeting will be held on November 21st from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the DeBert Hospitality Center. Please register at nova Scotia sheep at gmail.com by November the 6th. The next module of the Maritime Beef Council's Atlantic Beef School is occurring virtually November 26th to 28th. Please register at maritimebeef.ca. The Nova Scotia Young Farmers, Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture and Farm Safety Nova Scotia Annual Meetings will happen between December 2nd and 4th. Events will begin November 30th and will continue all week. For more information, please visit nsfa-fane.ca forward slash AGM upcoming sale dates at atlantic stockyards include feeder sales on november 10th november 24th and december 8th there is a breeding socks sale on november the 7th and the atlantic elite Charlet sale will be held on november 14th visit atlanticstockyards.com for more information and there are two programs open for the cattle and sheep industry the Cattle Industry Enhancement Program and the Sheep Industry Enhancement Program are open with the Sheep Program closing on November 30th. More information can be found at novascotia.ca forward slash programs. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes!